Thank you, Vince. So this morning, we are October sermon series. It's funny because when I was talking to Trayson and our communications person about what the topic for the October sermon series was, I'm like, well, we're talking about stewardship through the lens of trees of the Bible. And they just kind of stared at me. And Trayson was like, so it's about trees? And I was like, kind of. And he's like, it's about stewardship? And I'm like, kind of. And he's like, so it's called Trees of the Bible. And I'm like, well, that sounds boring. So we shouldn't call it that. But the, the reason we started doing this, if you were in the sermons uh, last week, we started talking um, about what a good symbol of Westminster is, right? Because there's so many things. Like We could make the pumpkin the symbol of Westminster. It'd be pretty appropriate. But what we reached for was the symbol of the tree with these beautiful oaks all over our property that were planted by the first first people who gathered here. Like these oaks did not pre-exist this church. When they started gathering, they planted little um, seedlings, which is why the oaks are now 70 years old. This is our 70th year. And so what I started doing last week is I started drawing out some of these beautiful tree images and trying to figure out what we can learn about the life of discipleship from these trees in the Bible. Because the Bible uses the image of trees exhaustively. It uses it so much throughout the Bible because every generation previous to ours would have been living in much closer relationship with nature than we would have. And so using the images of all these trees that would have been well known to previous generations would have helped them understand better. Right? So if I were to make um, um, a, tell a story about an oak versus a pine, half of the people in here would have no idea what I was talking about, right? You would have to go Google the differences between an oak and a pine. But in the days of the Bible, using those images, using um, agricultural images, using outdoorsy images, would have been well understood by everyone, um, everyone hearing it. And so because of that, they use those images a lot. And they can be very powerful for us if we just understand what they're talking about. So last week, we started with Psalm 1 with this beautiful image of a tree planted by the streams of water. And the idea coming to us in that psalm was that um, our, the difference between the cursed life and the blessed life is the difference between one who is willing to, uh, to sink their roots into the streams of water, which for the psalmist is to meditate on the law of God, to meditate on the word of God, um, to pursue the spiritual discipline of actually trying to figure out what God's word for our life and God, what God's will for our life is. This morning for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to actually look at three or four different kinds of trees um, and then draw out some scripture passages that talk about them and then draw the, the um, analogy between that and our lives of discipleship. And I'm starting this morning with the olive tree because the olive tree was one of the most important and useful in the ancient world. Um, olive oil was life. Olive, the olive, the, so the fruit of the olive tree is obviously the olive, and you would crush that and you would make olive oil. But what you might not know um, is that that was not only for cooking, it was their medicine, it was anointing. Um, and they weren't just crazy. If you actually, if you, they've done tests to find out that there's actually antioxidants in the olive oil. And so you can actually use it as a medicinal treatment and it, it kind of works. And so there are, there are medicines they use that were definitely crazy. This is one of those that was not crazy. They use it for beauty treatments. They use it for health. They used it for um, eating. It was their whole life. It was so important that they actually also used it to anoint kings. 
right? So when they would bring a new king into office, they would anoint the king with the olive oil. If a new priest was going to serve, they would anoint the priest with the olive oil because there was this idea that this was one of the most important and therefore one of the most sacred things they had. And so because of that, if you're looking for a single symbol that would come forth about um, the, the, the land of Israel, it would be the olive tree. Because the olive trees produced the fruit that was so extraordinarily, not just useful, but life-giving for them. Now, two things I want to point out about that that are fascinating to me. And the first thing I want to point out about it that's fascinating is that The olive trees, and actually trees in general, produce way, way more fruit than they actually need. So the reason a tree, if you're looking at this sheerly biologically, the reason a tree produces fruit is in order to make more trees, right? It's its seed. It's trying to make another olive tree. And so it produces this fruit. But it produces way, way, way more then it actually needs. So like a single olive tree might actually give birth to like one other olive tree in its lifetime. But every growing season, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of olives, pounds and pounds and pounds of olives. The ancient people looking at this, and this is where if you want to switch your worldview from like a purely scientific worldview to like what was God up to worldview, The ancient people looking at this looked at the design of the tree and they said, you know what? God made trees so that they had a purpose beyond just taking care of themselves. God made trees so that they had a purpose beyond just reproducing themselves. God could have made it so where they made one olive and that one olive made a baby tree and that baby tree grew up and that was it. But instead, God made trees so that there was this overabundance of fruit. And that overabundance of fruit turned out to be the life source, not just for all of these squirrels and birds and animals, but for the humans who then planted the olive trees and used them as their medicine, as their food, as their anointing. They used them all throughout the life because this tree was created in order to bear fruit. Okay. Now take a step back with me because here's what the Bible is going to do. The Bible is going to draw an analogy between trees that were created to bear fruit and humans that were created to bear fruit. So the Bible is going to say this. God made the tree so that the tree could have a role in giving life to the earth, right? God made the tree so that that fruit could feed his children. And when everything's going right, when that tree is well watered, when that tree is doing what it's supposed to do, is drawing from its roots, is getting the sunlight, then that tree not only takes care of itself, that tree feeds so many people that you can't even hardly count the number that are fed from a single tree. And the Bible's going to say this. (laughs) Humans... Are like trees. Humans are like trees. We were not meant to just grow up and take care of ourselves. That's not the way God designed us. We were not meant to just get tall and strong 
and produce enough to take care of ourselves and our one kid that's going to grow up in our own little tight little family. God designed us to be like trees. In that, we produce so much fruit that we feed God's world. And so this analogy is going to play out throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And this is where, when we get into the New Testament, Paul talks about what the fruit of the Spirit is. If we grow up in the faith, if we have our roots sunk into the presence of God, if we do all of this, then naturally what's going to happen is we, we live lives that are not centered around ourselves. We start to live lives that bear forth fruit of love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, and generosity and faithfulness, self-control. And the image that we're given is that when we become spiritually mature people, then the people God has put around us are nourished by our faithfulness. The community around us is fed by our faithfulness. We are not people who live for ourselves. We are people who live for the feeding of the world. Okay, that's the first part. Now is where it gets interesting. Because now where we get to the, is where we get to the judge's story. And God bless Millie. She's like, I've never read this story before. <laughs> this is one about talking trees. And here's what happens. Um, Judges is an incredibly bloody book. Um, there's a whole lot of changes of leadership that happen um, with a whole lot of bloodshedding that happened. In this particular story, there is one son who has um, 69 siblings. There were 70 sons overall, and he decides to kill all of his siblings so that there are no other, no other choices for the throne. Um, he misses one, which is how the next chapter of the story. But the people anoint him king, and then in standing up um, after that happens, a man stands up to try to get the people's attention about the choice that they've just made. And he says, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And he tells the story. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, be our king. And the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees? And he said to the fig tree, come be our king. And the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and so sweet to hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, come be our king. And the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? So all of those three are three um, trees that produced important things in the ancient world, olive, fig, and wine. And what they all said in that particular thing, in that particular parable, the trees are saying, come be our king, come rule over us. And all of them said, that is not my job. So the olive tree says, should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored? Do you remember that anointing part? Um, this is, the oil was, was, was essential in both um, um, church, uh, temple rituals and also in the home. Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honored to hold sway over the trees and the fig tree? Should I give up my fruit to hold sway over the trees? And so the response of all of these trees to this, this invitation, come be our king, the response of all these trees is that's not what I was made for. I was made, the olive tree says, I was made to produce fruit. The fig tree says, I was made to, to produce fruit. 
The vine says, I was made to produce grapes, and then they go into this whole thing about how important wine is. And all of these trees say, I was made to do this. Don't come to me with this invitation to be something other than what I was meant to do. And the image that's being presented to us is that there is this little tempting voice that comes in. For the olive tree who knows exactly what it was made to do, exactly what it was supposed to do, and not only knows exactly what it was supposed to do, but in fact has an incredibly, incredibly important job, there's this little tempting voice that comes in that says, but if you just leave it, then you could be king over the trees. Then we want you to come rule over the trees. We want you to leave what you're doing and we want you to come have this power and this honor and this glory and we want you to leave your job because we need a leader. Now the side background of this is during Judges, God is trying to convince the people that they don't need a king, that he is their king. And so part of what's going into this parable is the people saying, no, we need a king. And so coming into the olive tree saying, leave your job, come be our king. The voice of temptation that is coming to the olive tree here is that what you were created to do by God isn't actually interesting or satisfying enough. You need something more. What you were meant to do by God, this bearing fruit, is not enough for you. You should be a king. You should be in a place of authority. And the reason that's interesting is that that is kind of that's the same little tempting voice that we see come up in other places in Scripture where people are being pressed to step aside from their God-given vocation and to aspire to something that is quote-unquote more. So do you remember back in the garden? The people had been given a, a job and a promise, right? They've been given the job of taking care of the garden. They've been given the freedom to eat of any tree in the garden that they wanted. And this voice came in and it said, but what if what God has given you is not enough? What if what God has planned for you, what God has told you to do with your life is not enough? What if you could be more? In Genesis, it's what if you could be like God. In Judges, it's what if you could be like a king? We see this a couple of different times coming up in different stories. And the reason I, I, I latched onto this is because I see this happen all the time today. In our lives as disciples, when we finally get grounded in who we are supposed to be and what we are supposed to do, and this little inkling voice comes in from the world and says, but what if that's not enough? What if the, the fruit-bearing life of a Christian, whereby we partner with God in feeding the world and nourishing the world and becoming a part of what God is doing in the world, gosh, that sounds boring compared with what I could do with my life. Gosh, that sounds boring compared with what I could do with my life. What if I just turned aside from my own fruitfulness and, and this whole feeding others thing, and what if I just focused on myself for a while? What if I just focused on, what if I just got a little bit more glory for myself, a little bit more power for myself? What if I just did this instead of being the person that God has called me to be? Now, for those of you who can't think about real life examples of this, I'm going to give you a couple. Because the thing is, this little mini scenario plays out all the time, all the time especially in our lives today. 
When I was in uh, college, I was an English major, which is like shorthand for you don't know what you're doing with your life. So I didn't, you fellow English major, no? Yes? Oh, are you kidding me? Okay. So you figured out what you're doing with your life. That's awesome. Um, so I did not figure out what I was doing with my life. Um, they, everyone asked me, so what, what are you going to do with that? Which is like a legitimate question, because like, what are you going to do with that? And I had no idea. But I knew what I wanted. And what I wanted was to do something that made me really, really respected, right? So I knew this image in my head, and I didn't know if like, maybe I would you know, get a PhD and become this really pre respected professor, or maybe I would go you know, be an executive in an in a office of some sort. Like I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew what I wanted to feel about myself. And what I wanted was I wanted respect, I wanted power, I wanted everyone to look at me and see how successful I was. I wanted all of these levels of things and I couldn't figure out exactly which um, path would get me there, partly because God did not put in me the gifts that would actually get me there, right? God had put in me the gifts from childhood of ministry but ministry, y'all, is weird. Have you ever told somebody you're going to seminary and like looked at the response on their face? When I started, when I finally you know, got my call into seminary, which is the second half of the story, and I told people, they asked, well, what are you doing with your life? And I said, well, I'm going to seminary. They look at you like you're going to Hogwarts, right? In fact, Hogwarts would be like slightly less weird than going to seminary. And so this whole idea of, of going to seminary, putting my life into ministry, that didn't fit what I wanted for my life. Here's what happened to me. I spent three months in a service project in Nicaragua where they shut off the electricity. I mean, there was no electricity down there, but it, it was shut off for me, right? So all of the noise was stopped and all of the outside influences were stopped and all of the images were stopped. All of the voices that I didn't even know were talking to me were stopped. All those little voices that said, don't you want to be like this? Don't you want to be like this? And this, y'all, this was before like iPhones. So this is before those voices are in front of you all day long and those images are in front of you all day long. All those little voices were just shut off for me. And I spent those three months and there's this beautiful quiet that comes when there's no electricity and there's no noise happening. You watch the sun rise, you watch the sun set. And so even if you don't, are not a particularly devout person, you end up spending a lot of time in prayer just because you're, you are with nature more. You're with the rising of the sun and the setting of the sun, and you see the trees and you see the river. And, and somewhere in that three months, something inside me just broke. And I realized that whatever I wanted for my life, what God wanted for my life was to bear fruit. And what that meant for me was to come back and to announce to my parents that I was going to go to seminary. And they were the first people who gave me that look, by the way. They were the first people who were like, what happened to law school, dear? But once that changed inside of me, it never went back. It never went back. Why, in the words of the olive tree, why should I trade my fruit for the honor accorded to Ben? Why should I trade the glory and the honor that I have for the honor that you're offering me? 
Because if you look at it through the eyes of God, it's not even comparable. Because this is an olive tree, there's one last thing we have to say, because you can't trace the story of the olive tree in Scripture without, without including this big, big moment. And that's that Jesus had a very important encounter with olive trees. Does anyone remember this? Gethsemane. Gethsemane was an olive grove. Gethsemane, which was the place that Jesus went after the Last Supper, when he was before the cross, when he had this legitimate time of decision, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going? Am I going to go God's way or am I going to go my way? The place that he stopped and wrestled that out was in an olive grove. And those olive trees, oh, you, can, you can tour today the, the place that they think that was, and there's this very, very old olive grove with not thousands of years, but hundreds of years old trees at this point. You can see these old gnarled trunks and these branches that are just producing fruit upon fruit upon fruit. And that was where Jesus knelt. And there was this voice that came to him too. What if you did it your way? Because doesn't God's way seem awfully extreme? What if you just got a little bit more power for yourself? Because what God is telling you just seems, that seems like the wrong way. I know God has said you can bear fruit this way, but what if you, what if you just became king? What if you just got the power for yourself? What if you just got the glory for yourself? And at that moment, in that time of wrestling, Jesus silenced that voice forever. And what he said was, not thy will, but my mind be done. Not thy will, but mine be done. I do not choose the glories of the world. I choose the fruit that God will bear through me. And because of that, this is what, when the ancient Christians looked at what Jesus did, they called the tree the fruit of life. And the body of Christ that came from the tree, they called the, they called the cross the tree of life, and the body of Christ that came from the tree of life was the fruit of life. And that came out, and the fruit born from that tree was born for the healing of the world. And so as, even as the olives bear the tree, the olives that were used for the healing of the ancient world, the fruit that came from Christ's act of faithfulness bore fruit that, came, that, was, that, was, that was fruit for the healing of all of the world and all of the generations. And I'll tell you what, telling the story like that makes, makes us focus on that moment of sacrifice and that is important to understand because I, I think that moment's going to come for everybody. If it hasn't yet, I think it will. But what Jesus saw in that moment of surrender, and what I found out in my much smaller moment of surrender, is that the moment of sacrifice is only the beginning of the story because what Jesus saw coming was the resurrection. And the fruit that came after the resurrection was so much greater than if Jesus had become king, right? Right? The fruit that came after the resurrection was so much better and so much more glorious and so much more wonderful. And what I can say is this, the life I have received from my faithfulness to God in that moment is so much more meaningful, so much more powerful than the life I could have built for myself. My brothers and sisters this morning, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your true vocation is, and I don't know what God is calling you to, but I do know this. God has called you to a life that is more than yourself. God has called you to a life that is greater than yourself. 
If you are living a life that bears fruit only for yourself, for your own little nuclear family, for the people that you care and love, you are living less than what God has in store for you. If you are living a life that is focused on your own little empire, your own little kingdom, your own little glory, your own little king, then you are living a life that is less than what God wants for you. God designed you to bear over and abundantly more than you could possibly consume yourself because you're not meant to be living for yourself. You're meant to be helping feed the world. You're meant to be helping nourish the world. You're meant to be bearing fruit over and above what you could possibly use because God has a whole plan about bringing life to the world and you are a part of it. And so this morning, if your call is to say yes in that particular way that you have not yet said yes to, this is your moment. This morning, if your call is to say no to that voice of temptation about being your own king and being the center of your own empire, this is your time to do it. This morning, if the only thing you need to do is to change your mindset from being a person who lives for yourself to being a person who lives for the feeding of the world, then this is your chance. Because my friends, we do not have forever, but we have a precious few days that have been entrusted to us on this earth. May we live as good trees, bearing an abundance of crop over and over and over and over. That when the end of our days came, come, we might look with pride and with gratitude on how much God has accomplished through our willingness. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we confess our own reluctance. We confess our own self-interest. We confess the amount of time that we have spent focused and how to take care of ourselves, and how little time we have spent focused on how to feed the people you love. And so God, come. Forgive us for the times that we have given in to that tempting voice. Forgive us for the times that we have turned away from your invitation and taken a lesser invitation. Forgive us for the times that we have sought our own glory instead of seeking yours. Come. Correct us, because that's why we're here. Bring us back on track and free us for joyful obedience, that by our obedience, you might bring blessing into the world. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.